Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Friday, July 16th. 2021. This is Shannon, and I'm here with Sarah, Natalia, and Stacy, and we are going to talk about one of the best romance tropes of all romance tropes. Yay! The fake relationship. My favorite. Fake dating, fake engagement. Oh, it will be so lovely. So we are going to start off with the usual housekeeping information, then I will turn it over to Sarah. Followed by me, then Stacy, and lastly, Natalia. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. The first book I'm going to talk about tonight is written by an author who is one of my romance book heroes. I have never read a book by this author that I haven't given five stars. The book I'm talking about is Take a Hint, Danny Brown, written by Talia Hibbert. Yay! Yay. Love her! (laughs) She's amazing. She's all five-star reads for me. Like, when I see a book coming out, it's like, oh, I'm going to buy that. Oop, I'm going to buy that. I don't even, like, hardly look at the synopsis. So Take a Hint, Danny Brown is the second book in the Brown Sisters trilogy. And guess what? The main character's name is Danica. She goes by Danny. And she is a little bit jaded in, in matters of the heart. She um, is a PhD student and teaches some classes. And she is just very practical. She been there, done that, wore the t-shirt for romantic entanglements. And she just really would like to find a nice friend of either gender with benefits. And that's really how she is. She's very practical. So one day she gets stuck in an elevator. It's not even really that stuck, but she gets stuck in an elevator. And her friend, who is a rugby player, professional rugby player turned security guard, Zaf, and he seems grumpy. I do too. And he seems grumpy and broody on the surface, but oh my God. And he picks her up and carries her out of the building. Well, somebody catches it on video and it goes viral and they start calling him Dr. Rugby. (laughs) And somehow it is determined that Zaf and Danny are in this like passionate relationship And it's really making a lot of people interested in Zaf. They were interested in him while he was playing rugby, but he had to stop playing rugby and they became disinterested. But he, he has a children's charity that he 
has started that he's very involved with. And when people think that he's Dr. Rugby and he's in this like beautiful, tempestuous, passionate relationship with Danica Brown, the donations start pouring in for his charity. So he begs Danny, like, please, please, can we be a fake relationship in public? And Danny is very crafty and she's thinking, well, we can, I'll be all the fake you want me to be, but in private, we're going to have some benefits. We're going to be a fake. Yep. We're going to be a fake relationship with benefits, baby. But what she doesn't realize (laughs) is that Zaf is actually really a romantic and that when they actually like start to consummate the fake relationship, it's like mind blowing. And the more time she spends (laughs) with him, well, maybe not just mind blowing, but you know, <laughs> I guess mind blowing is more during the day because she's a PhD student, but and she likes her, she likes her academia. Okay, I think just stop digging. Just stop I'm st- digging. <laughs> <laughs> so um Danny begins to realize that maybe there's more to this fake relationship with benefits than fake. And I just want to say a couple things about this book besides the synopsis. So I feel like in almost every one of Talia Hibbert's books, she tackles something that is a topic that a lot of people either are afraid to touch or they don't do it well. She's written like a couple books now with people who are um, on the autism spectrum. She's written books with people who are um, maybe from different cultures or different, you know, she's, and this book, and I believe this is in the author's note at the beginning, so I'm not giving anything away, but she really tackles anxiety in such a caring and kind way. And yet she really does a good job of describing what it is like to live with anxiety, in my opinion. I would and agree because with that. it, Okay, good, good. I'm glad. And also, she is so damn funny. So there yes, are a couple, is. <laughs> like that. There's a funny scene where Zaf tries to feed Danny something because people are like taking all these pictures for Instagram of them, and it just has some kind of funny, um, <laughs> it has some kind of funny results. And so, um, it's just it's just a wonderful book, and it's it's filled with such heart. And then the other two Brown sisters who are just like these large personalities are in it. And then she has, um, I think, what do they call her? Gigi? Gigi. Gigi's in it and Gigi's um, partners in it. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing book. So if I were you, I know we're talking about fake relationships, but probably to read, take a hint, Danny Brown, I would probably read get a life Chloe Brown first because it's the first book in the trilogy and sets things up. But if you are not Natalia and don't need to read every series in order, although I recommend it for this series, you could read Take a Hint, Danny Brown as a standalone. So please don't just trust my word. Trust everybody else on the podcast who's read it and read Take a Hint, Take a Hint, Danny Brown by Talia Hibbard. Fake relationships. But read them in order. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Fake relationships. The perfect amount of steam and some really beautifully written character development. It's everything I want in a book. 
I saw on Twitter that I think she's writing like a Royals book. Oh, she wrote some Royals books in the past. I've never read them. Right. But I think there's a new, like a new Royal series that she's working on. She kind of hinted about it on Twitter. So I'm not fully clear. So I'm really um, not into Royals. Like that. But if Talia Hibbert writes books about Royals, I would probably like them. So my first book tonight came out in mid-2020, and this is Written in the Stars by Alexandria Bellfleur. And this is lovely. It's one of those things that I've heard so many good things about, and I get a little concerned when there's so much hype about a book because I feel like I'm just not going to like it as much. It's not going to live up to the hype, and so I'm, I'm always a little skeptical of really hyped books. But this one did indeed live up to everything fantastic that people were saying about it. So this is the story of Kate. And Kate is an actuary. She is really passionate about numbers and order. She had a bad breakup a while before the book starts. And she's pretty much decided that she's not really looking for love. She just wants to focus on her career and, you know, have a nice life for herself, but she figures she can have a nice life for herself by herself. And then we get to know Kate's brother and he wants to, he wants his sister to fall in love. Like it's really important to him. And so he's always setting her up on these dates and they never really go well. Like it's just always bad. So He sets her up on a date with this woman named Elle, who is one of his like business partners. Elle is an astrologer and she has recently come up with an astrology app called Oh My Stars. And she wants it to become like part of this kind of bigger like brand that Kate's brother is kind of in charge of. So the two of them are working together. He finds out that Elle is into women and he thinks, oh, this is really great. You know, you should meet my sister. And so they, they have a date and it's a terrible, terrible date. Like Elle is sort of snobbish. Like she's just, she acts like she doesn't really have much of an interest in, in Kate. And she thinks that, you know, Kate is kind of stuffy and not very interesting like sure she's attractive but it's just not a good it's just not a good thing and Kate when she finds out that Elle is really into astrology like she just pretty much has no no time for that um she doesn't believe in soulmates and just so many of the things that make Elle who she is are things that Kate has just a, a deep mistrust of But she doesn't want to tell her brother that this date went really badly because she knows that if she does, he'll just set her up with somebody else. So she lies and she says that it was like a really good date and that they're going to spend more time together and like get to know each other. And like, maybe this will turn into something. And of course, he's really happy about this. And so he tells Elle and she's so confused. And she's like, but this was terrible. Like, how, how does anyone like think this is good? So they have this text conversation where, you know, Kate is sort of like copping to the fact that she did lie and begging Elle to help her out and lie with her for a while so that she can get her brother off her back. 
And this is just a lovely, lovely story about two people who on the surface are so different from one another. Like their lives couldn't be more different if, if they tried. And yet, as they get to know each other and form a friendship and eventually recognize that they have feelings for one another, they, they start to understand that like they don't each have to be sort of at the extreme end of, of the spectrum where they are. You know, Elle um, doesn't have to be quite as like new agey as she is and quite as like free-spirited and kind of careless. And Kate can sort of ease up a little bit and she doesn't have to be so rigid all the time. Um, it is just like one of the best romances I have read in quite a long time. I am so excited for um, a book called Hang the Moon that came out in May, which is a companion novel to this one where we see um, Kate's brother and his happily ever after. And then next year is a book about Elle's best friend who also um, is into women and she you know, finds her HEA. So I'm super excited to keep reading what this author writes um, her, her pacing is perfect. I just love everything about this. And it's written in the stars by Alexandria Bellefleur. First of all, can I just say anybody whose name is Alexandria Bellefleur, right? <laughs> like yes. it has the coolest name ever. I yeah, agree. This book sounds Beautiful good. flower. Right. Yes. And then, you know, when you discover a new author that when they get all the notes just right, and it just is like this perfect, perfect thing, like, it's just, I don't know, it's so happy and wonderful. So I said a minute ago that sometimes you find an author that you discover quite by accident and then they just hit all the right notes for you. And for yeah. me, this year, one of those authors has been Kate Claiborne. And I discovered her when Love at First came out and I binged her backlist. And I read her Chance of a Lifetime trilogy, and today I'm going to talk to you, and I read the trilogy in order, Natalia, so don't worry. I read it in order. It's all good. <laughs> but today I'm going to talk about Luck of the Draw, Chance of a Lifetime, book two by Kate Claiborne. Oh, yes. so I have to read these. Oh, my God. And so this Bad. book. I know. I did it on yeah, purpose. I, I knew I had forgotten about, about some. I know there's so many fake relationship <laughs> books. It was hard to come up with like oh, it's very a hard list because I love them so yeah. much. And so in this book, um, so this, this trilogy, I have to say, it focuses on three best friends who win the lottery and um, it changes all of their lives in different ways. But for Zoe, who is um, a really sort of intense corporate attorney, um, it changes her life in that she is able to walk away from this very high powered law firm where she's not agreeing ethically with some of the decisions they're making. It just doesn't sit well in her heart. And so Zoe has just been, since the lottery win, she's been sort of floating around aimlessly trying to figure out what the hell her life is supposed to be because it's not what she was doing where, you know, people routinely cried and, you know, her firm was like making these like, um, settlements for people. And, you know, for, for Zoe, she just knows that she just feels like she has to atone for some of the things that happened while she was busting her ass 80 hours a week for this firm that basically sucked out her soul. 
And what she's never forgotten is the O'Leary family and how she feels as though her law firm did them an incredible, incredible disservice in a, in a wrongful death suit that happened. And so Zoe one night decides that she's going to go and start apologizing to all the people that she sort of wronged or did not treat well during her time at this law firm. And so one of the things that she wants to do is apologize to the family of Aaron O'Leary, who, you know, got this settlement, but it is not going to bring their, their son back. And so she drives over to the, to the home of the parents of the young man who died. But instead of seeing his parents, she is faced with this really attractive son of theirs named Aiden. And um, Aiden hates her on sight. He knows exactly who she is. He's not willing to really accept her apology, her guilt mission. But what he is willing to do is ask her to be his fake fiance. If she really wants to give back, this is how she can help. Because Aiden really, honestly and for truly, wants to do something good with the money from the settlement from his brother's death. So what Aiden wants to do, he has an idea. There's a camp that he and his brother went to throughout their childhood, and it's up for sale. And he would like to do this very specific thing with this camp. But the issue is that um, the, the current owners of the camp want it to be a very family endeavor. So Aiden thinks he'll have a better chance of being the one they select to purchase the camp if he comes oh. to these six weekends at the camp with a partner. So <laughs> Zoe and Aiden become fake engaged and they spend these six weekends at this very rustic camp. And it's with, um, there's, a, there's other couples there who also want to purchase the camp. They all have to do a presentation and, you know, throughout each weekend of the camp, it starts out with them being very prickly and not trusting each other, but trying to fake that they actually like each other, which is kind of painful. But as the weekends progress, they begin to learn more about each other. Aiden learns a bit more about Zoe and Zoe learns a lot about what is driving Aiden so hard, why he wants this camp, why he wants this idea to come to fruition. And as they're, you know, hiking along trails and feeling competitive about other um, presentations that are happening and accidentally witnessing um, naked older men leaping into a lake, you Whoa. know, the, their relationships <laughs> begin, the relationship begins to shift and they begin to trust each other, but there's so much emotional baggage to work through. And, you know, will this be a relationship that was just better meant for this short stint of time? Or do Zoe no. and Aiden have something that will, you know, move beyond this six weekend gig that she has basically signed up for to atone for her guilt? And this book, it sounds frothy on the surface and it is not frothy. It's, it's deep. There's oh, it some significant, so oh my God. And like, you know, all the camping stuff is great. And like the, just the family dynamics, um, the way that the three best friends interact with each other is wonderful. And then there is the pain of 
losing someone who I don't, I, I don't want to give spoilers because it, this is not known in the synopsis. So I'm not going to say exactly, but you know, this book resonated with me very specifically. Um, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Um, but it's just a really gorgeous book. The entire trilogy is wonderful. Um, and you know, her writing just really is a gorgeous thing to read. But if you want a fake relationship book with a lot of heart, a lot of soul and a lot of depth, I would encourage you to read Luck of the Draw, Chance of a Lifetime, book two by Kate Claiborne. I would actually encourage you to read the series in order, but I'm a bad person and I did not um, actually look at the name of the first book to tell you like the reading order, but- um, Beginner's Luck. Beginner's Luck, thank you. Yes, about Kit and Ben, yeah. So um, if you if you want to read a really good trilogy, this is it. And I know, I think Natalia's read this. I don't know, Shannon, have you read these? Yes. No, but I want to. Okay, and I know Sarah hasn't I- yet. So my first book is the most ultimate of the alt fake relationship book I have Ooh. probably ever, ever read. And I, I found it when the wonderful Audible Romance Peck Oh, yeah. don't even talk about and that it makes me so sad <laughs> I miss it very much so Audible if you're listening maybe you can reinstate and <laughs> and I found this author by I don't know if I was browsing or what but the, the summary was just so intriguing and then I read it and like I read the whole series and this was a series that I would stay up till four or five in the morning just reading it so the first book is called The Substitute Wedding Pack Book One by Denise Grover Swank. Oh, I looked at these. I loved this this book so much. So this book is about Megan Vendemere, who is engaged to be married. And she is currently going, when our story starts, she's going to get on an airplane to go home to her wedding. Except there's one tiny little schnick. Her engagement to her cheating, lying, terrible fiance is broken. Whoopsies. And she meant to tell her parents, but somehow she couldn't find the courage because she felt like her mother would blame her instead of the person whose fault it is, which was her fiance. And so now she's flying home to her wedding by herself. <laughs> so you know, she's basically at this point stretched avoidance to its limits and now she's going to have to come clean um, to her family, which is absolutely terrifying. So, of course, she has, she's kind of terrified of flying. So she takes two drinks, she has two drinks and has two Dramamine on top of it to try to knock herself (laughs) out. Not a very smart decision. Um, But then this tall, handsome stranger sits next to her on an airplane because she's so impaired. She ends up telling him her entire like sob story. And what happens? Well, when they land, of course, you know, alcohol, Dramamine, not a good idea. She's kind of like falling on her feet. And so he's escorting her out of the airplane, like trying to, you know, be a gentleman, help her out. And they... Uh, her family is at the gate waiting to meet her, and they think that he is her fiance, Jay, the person that she's going to marry. And he goes along with it. So, yes, this starts the most ultimate, ultimate, ultimate fake relationship 
book. Like literally there are wedding activities, a bachelor party, bachelorette party, like all these things are happening to this wedding. And, you know, this man is not uh, Megan's fiance, Jay. Instead, his name is Josh McMillan, who was actually Mm -hmm. taking a plane to Kansas City to save his business. And this unexpected, I guess, answer is, uh, Megan is an unexpected answer for him and his business. We don't know why. We just find out that that's, that's how it is. So it benefits him greatly to go along with this fake uh, fiance spiel, you know? And so all he has to do, since he's pretending to be her fiance, is stage a really public breakup that's convincing enough to appease Megan's mother so that she doesn't give Megan flack. But the more time that Megan and Josh spend together, the more the engagement begins to feel real and the less they want to break it off. Can the relationship that began as a farce turn into a happily ever after? I don't know. But if you want to find out, you have to read The Substitute, The Wedding Pack by Denise Grover Swank. And of course, all the other books that follow it. I can't say enough how much I love this series. I'm just wondering, because, I mean, this would be, I hate running, but if I was going to be in a, but if I was going to be in a running club, I'd want to be in the martini running club. (gasps) So would I. Do you run with like frozen martinis? Because if they're frozen, you run, you run, and then you go drink. If you're Everly Dalton and her friends, and then you go to this bar and you get dirty martinis and salad. Season. Salad. Uh, I, they to. might be Caesar. I don't remember. That was That's my first day with my husband. Dirty martini and a Caesar salad. I could be part of their club. I didn't run though. Well, that's true. But if you want to learn about fake relationships and martini running clubs, you really might enjoy Faking Miss Wright, the Martini Running Club, book one by Claire Kingsley. Ooh. Oh my it, god, I love her. So I do do, and it's just the most delightful book. And the beautiful thing about Claire Kingsley is that if you look at like the synopsis of the book, they look like they're going to be like this joyful romp. Not really, but you know, like they like just happy. But she always has something like deeper in her books that she tackles, even if it's not like as deep as deep can be. It's something. Her books really have like heart behind them and depth. So this is the story of Everly Dalton. This book was originally published in case you are curious under the name. um, Is it Everly Dalton's dating disasters? I think that was the prequel. So that's like a novella. Yeah. Yeah, Everly Dalton. I can't remember. Oh, maybe you might want to delete that. Um, But this (laughs) This book is about Everly Dalton, and she is an absolute dating disaster, like horrible, horrendous, and something awful always seems to happen on her dates or something totally like that doesn't ever happen. Well, I mean, it doesn't happen in real life because it's a book, but it doesn't happen in real life. And it's just weird because her out of work life, she's like a total disaster. But like at work, she's a total badass. And she is the longest lasting assistant for CEO Shepard Calloway. Shepard Calloway? Shepard is kind of an ass. Like, he's just kind of unfeeling and, like, on the surface, he seems kind of, like, bland and, like, meh. 
Why are billionaires always assholes? I don't know. I don't know. And usually I literally hate like boss billionaire and then like assistant books. Everly is the longest lasting assistant for Shepard Calloway, as I said. And he's kind of a, I don't know. He's just not very nice to people. He's kind of meh. But one day he's at a party and he sees his awful ex and he never dates people very long and he always gives them like amazing gifts when they break up. But this ex was awful. And I can't tell you why the ex being there is a real problem because it will ruin part of the book that you don't know. But I can tell you that he needed to come up with a date super fast. So he calls Everly and she's at home on a Friday night and he's like, put on a dress and get here right now. It's a work thing. So she goes there, not necessarily knowing she's going to be his fake date. And then it kind of starts exploding from there. And pretty soon he's begging her to please move in with him and like be his fake girlfriend. And she also needs something from him that I can't go into because it will ruin more of the plot. And so she decides, well, I mean, it can't hurt. I'll do it. I'll be his fake girlfriend. But the problem is that Shepard is not really quite as cold and douchey as he appears to be the billionaire boss. He's actually (laughs) a quite caring person. And it starts to feel way less fake for both of them until they begin to think that maybe this faking Miss Wright is not actually faking after all. And there's so much more to the plot of this book, but I cannot tell you because it will ruin other parts of the plot. But I will tell you there's a lot of like great friendships in this book running and martinis and none of them are like these like major athletic like they just run because it gives them an excuse to go have martinis and it's like this empowerment and girls that are friends like finding their own like confidence and also just a really really beautiful love story that evolves it's one of my favorites i love the martini running club books so much and we I love would, Claire Kingsley. Too. Yes, we do love Claire Kingsley. Everybody should read Claire Kingsley. She's an amazing author. And but give if her you, some extra love right now. Yes, yes. Give her some extra love because she's going through a very sad time. Yes. But if you, if you want to read a book that's really an amazing book, um, and the rest of the Martini Running Club books are also amazing, and this will make Natalia happy, I really would read these in order also. Faking Miss Wright, Martini Running Club, book one by the amazing Claire Kingsley. Oh my God, I love this series. I love this book. So my next book is one that Stacy actually recommended to me. And it's one that I'm <laughs> almost done reading, but I, I haven't, quite, uh, haven't quite finished. So this is... My Darling Duke, Sinful oh. Wallflowers, book one by Stacy Reed. And before I get into this book, I will say 
that I would recommend, unless you have a really compelling reason for wanting to read this in audio, um, <laughs> please don't. Yeah, audio, no. This, no. Like, this narrator, I, I, I don't know. Like, it's, her name is Mary Sarah. Who is it? Oh, Mary and Sarah. It's. It's terrible. Like that. That's all I can say. It's terrible. And we've never on Book Bistro like <laughs> called out a narrator, but this is. Uh... So, my darling Duke is the story of Kitty Danvers, and oh. Kitty, she and her family are in a really unpleasant situation. Um, her father died sometime before the story starts. And they really don't have a lot of money. And she's very concerned about not only her future, but the future of her three younger sisters. So she decides that she needs to come up with a way to get her sisters like good matches. But no one is really interested in her or her sisters because they don't have any dowries. And they're just kind of like on the edges of society. On the fringe. Yes. So (laughs) she decides that she is going to say that she is the fiance of this reclusive duke. And he hasn't been seen by most people in society for like many years, something like 10 years. Mm -hmm. So she figures like, this is pretty harmless, right? Like she can just make this announcement and he'll never find out, like people will believe that this is true. And it'll be fine. Like she will then sort of have this credibility that goes along with being the fiance of a duke. And maybe this can assist her sisters in making good matches. And then, you know, once that's done, she can just like let this whole thing go. But Alexander, who is the duke in question, does find out that there is this woman in London who is claiming to be engaged to him. And he knows very well that he is not engaged. And Alexander has a lot of issues. Um, He was very, very badly injured rescuing his younger sister from a house fire. And people have not always treated him very kindly. So he's kind of drawn inward. You know, he doesn't have a lot of patience for society. He doesn't really want to see a lot of people, but he decides that he will go to London to figure out who this Kitty Danvers is and why she is claiming to be his fiance. So he does this and they meet and he decides that she should come back to Scotland with him, which is where he has been living in seclusion with just like his sister and a few like family retainers. Um, He just doesn't really have a big social circle. So she doesn't really want to do that, but she knows that if she doesn't go with him to Scotland, like he will tell everyone that this whole engagement is a lie and that would not be good. So this is, like, there are some really funny moments here. Um, yes. I really, I really liked Kitty and just sort of her, uh, the way in which she sort of thinks things through and like in her mind, you know, this is a really well thought out plan and sometimes it's just not. Um, <laughs> but there's just something about like her spirit that I really, really liked. And I also was very, very intrigued by Alexander as a hero. Um, Stacy Reed 
deals with disability in a really, really nice way here. Not in a way that makes disability like seem like terrible. It's, it's, it's very like middle of the road. It's like, it's a part of who he is. It's not like, you know, a super great tragedy. It's not this like inspirational thing that sort of makes everyone think, you know, that he is a great person. It's just very much how someone might deal with becoming disabled in kind of a tragic way. Um, We also deal with some sexual dysfunction, which I won't get into too much without, uh, you know, so I don't spoil things for you, but it's just, there's a lot to love here. And it's all just sort of wrapped up in like this really nice fake engagement where you really, like you root for Kitty to get what she wants, like for herself and her sisters, even though it's probably not really good to like put a thing in a newspaper saying you're engaged to someone that doesn't know you exist. And yet you do just like cheer her on throughout this. So this is My Darling Duke. It is Sinful Wallflowers, book one, and it is by Stacey Reed. All hail the beautiful Stacey Reed, who I do not feel gets quite enough love. And this book, for those who like such things, kind of has some shades of Beauty and the Beast. Oh my God. To it. And it choked me up several times. It is not, there's even some ballrooms and I didn't care. I did not care. So fake relationships, it's one of my favorite tropes of all time. And I actually like go through times where I binge a bunch of books with this trope because I love it and it's awkward and it's strange. And there's also a lot of times some facets of like enemies to lovers. And like, I just think it's so great. And I've read so many amazing books this year. And I just have to quickly say that I am so sad that I've already talked about Accidentally Engaged by Farah Heron because to me, it was like the ultimate, ultimate fake relationship book. I need to buy that book. I also really loved Flirting with Forever by Cara Bastone because it is also a beautiful fake relationship book. But right now I'm going to talk about one of my new favorite authors that I feel like I talk about a lot lately. And that is, I'm going to talk about East of Paradise, Journey to the Heart, book two by Tiff Marcello. I love her. I want to be her friend. I want to eat the food that she writes about. I want to drink the wine that she talks about. I love this woman. I love this author. I don't know why I did not know about these books until like a hot second ago. But this book is about Bryn. And Bryn has been the general manager at her family's Filipino restaurant in San Francisco for the last several years, kicking ass and taking names and making it into this really amazing, hot and fabulous place to eat. But now Bryn has her MBA and she has this great idea. She wants to have, she wants to sort of build this retreat where people can go, they can unplug, they can cook amazing Filipino food and they can just kind of be in nature and just get back to like a simpler, more restful life complete with essential oils in the bedrooms, good food and beautiful views, right? So she finds this wonderful place. It is the childhood home of Mitchell Dunford. And he has been um, in the army. He was in Afghanistan 
and now he's he's home he's back and he is trying to figure out what the hell to do with his family's vineyard that hasn't been doing well since his father died mitchell is the middle of three brothers and he's home trying to figure out what to do and he decides the best thing he can do to help kind of figure out what the next step is for his vineyard is to rent out the family house, Lavender Hill. And he rents it to Bryn. But, you know, they don't really start off on the best foot for reasons that I will not share here because they're funny. The issue is, though, that Bryn and Mitchell have this very awkward first encounter. And then once the contracts are signed and the lease is signed, they both realize that they have a relationship where he is her landlord and she is the tenant on his family's Ooh. land. Yes. Oh and dear. All of a, oh dear. And then all of a sudden her silent partner is experiencing a life crisis and has to back out of his support. And Bryn is thinking, whatever am I going to do? This spot is the most beautiful place for my retreat, but how am I going to pay the price that is being asked of me now that I don't have an investor. Well, you know what? That's not a problem for Bryn Aquino because, because she has caught the attention of um, a pretty prominent uh, magazine and website for um, a food network. And they want her to basically like live stream her entire renovation of the childhood home of Mitchell and, you know, kind of make it into a daily live stream. And then quite by accident, Mitchell shows up on camera and there OMG are some sparks between Bryn and Mitchell. And what is going to happen now? So Bryn and Mitchell are asked to fake a relationship throughout the renovation process to garner more views. Well, as they're faking in front of the cameras, they begin to not fake off camera because they have a chemistry that cannot be denied. But there's some family tensions and some stressors that might get in the way of their happily ever after. So will Bryn get the paradise retreat of her dreams? And will Mitchell be able to find his footing and find his place now that he is no longer serving his country? Will he be able to live? I know. Will he be able to live up to his father's legacy? And will his brothers help or hinder him in this process? This book is about food. It's about wine. It's about family relationships. And it's about two people coming together rather awkwardly and kind of at the end of the day, trying to decide is what they have as fake as they're asked to be on camera, or is it real enough to last beyond when the cameras stop rolling? This is East of Paradise, Journey to the Heart, book two by Tiff Marcello. This is an author, friends, that just, I don't know why she hasn't gotten enough love. And I don't know why. I think her books are amazing. If you're a foodie, if you like wine, um, if you are someone like me who just loves everything about Northern California, 
I do. These books are for you. If you like diversity in your characters, um, it's just, I don't know. It's just the most, I love her. I love this trilogy. I read it in a bit of a wonkety order. I read it numbers one, three, and then now number two, but it's okay. Don't hate me, Natalia. Like they're good anyway. And these are just like the best books I've ever, I mean, I just really love them. And the conflict feels real. The family dynamics are messy and awkward and real. And she's just a really gorgeous writer. So definitely check out the Journey to the Heart series, which begins with North to You um, and then go into East of Paradise, which is our beautiful fake relationship book. You know what's crazy? I literally just read this series like, what, two months ago? And it didn't even occur to me. I loved it. I know. So my next book, we're going to take it to uh, back to historicals. This is after, and it's actually a book two in a series. Can you believe what? Whoa. Yeah. You know, with historicals, you kind of can sometimes do that. So this is after the wedding. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Like you can, you can, I I still read them in order, but you can talk about a book too without like spoiling. That is true. Right. Yeah. I don't think she means Uh, you can read them. No, no. You cannot read it. This is against (laughs) Natalia's bookie commandments. Yes. (laughs) Thou shalt not read books out of order. Out of order. (laughs) (laughs) So this is after the wedding, the worth saga book two by Courtney Milan. And I got to tell you guys, I waited so long for this book to come out and it was worth everything it was so good this book is about camilla worth who is the younger sister of um the character in the first novel whose name escapes me at this moment um and it's about adrian hunter who is posing as a servant to get information uh for his uncle who is a prominent uh member of british society but he hasn't acknowledged um Adrian as his nephew publicly because basically Adrian's mother ran away to America and married a black man. And so what happens with Adrian is it seems that they suspect the person that he's spying on suspects that he is doing something untoward. And so they they lock him alone in a room with a, a servant who is Camilla Worth in this case, and they force him at gunpoint to marry her. Oh, dun, dun, oh dear. Dun. Now he wants to annul the marriage as soon as possible because he uh, he comes from a love love marriage. His parents are a love match, and so he doesn't want anything less for himself. Whereas Camilla, uh, ever since her father was commit convicted for treason, she's been passed around from family to family so she just wants somebody to love her so it's this really interesting like dynamic because they have to pretend to be married outwardly because they can't let the um the bad people know what they're trying to do while at the same time trying to get the information so that his uncle will help them annul the marriage meanwhile camilla just wants to seduce her reluctant husband because she feels like a marriage to him in reality, wouldn't be so bad. So it's a lot of puzzle pieces, but I really enjoyed it. It was another book that I read at night and I finished it like at 3 a.m. <laughs> so this is After the Wedding by Courtney Milan, The Worth Saga, book two. I've heard so many good things about Courtney Milan. You've never read Courtney Milan? Courtney I Milan haven't. has some of the best historicals. For? Like I love I her know. so much. What are you waiting for? 
I don't I know. I'm sorry. Can we end my round of books by talking about one of the best books I've ever read, which I cannot talk about until I say, Stacy, thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank you for discovering this author. Without You're welcome. This, without this author in my life, my days would be cold and dark. And weary. It, they would. And dreary. And so we cannot talk about a fake relationships episode. We cannot have one without talking about Rock Bottom Girl by Lucy oh, Spore. One of my, my absolute. Yes. One of my absolute. I need most, to read this. Oh I do too. Natalia, you would love it. Shannon, I think you would love it. It's so good. So this book is about Marley Cicero. And Marley is not having a very good day. So she broke up with her most recent boyfriend. She's 38. And then, like, the next day, the startup that she sank sank all of her savings into folds. And so she has to, yes. And so she has to go home with her tail tucked between her legs to Culpeper, Pennsylvania, to stay in her childhood bedroom with her lovable but quite quirky parents. Oh, dear. And yes, and Marley is really struggling. She doesn't know who she is. She never really wanted to, like, reside in Culpeper again. High school was not a good experience for her, and we will not talk about Homecoming 1998. Don't ever talk (laughs) about Homecoming 1998. No, we can't. Nobody can even refer to Homecoming 1998, her senior homecoming. And in the beginning of the book, you don't know why. Everybody just You do know, though, that she's been banned from any homecoming for the rest of her life. life. For life. Whoa. So her mother, within the first hour of her being home, has found her a job. And Marley is going to be, for one semester the phys ed teacher and girls soccer coach. Neither Um, of which jobs she is necessarily really equipped to do. She did play soccer in high school where she was bullied mercilessly by a lot of the girls on her team. But that's as far as she went besides maybe two intramural games in college. So she is with this team a very sulky girls on <laughs> her first practice. It's still summertime. And she is like, oh my God, like they don't gel. They don't communicate. They're all snarky. Like she is so out of her depth. And then things get worse when the boys cross country team flies by because <laughs> running amongst them, <laughs> running amongst them is somebody that she recognizes from high school, a boy Uh-oh. that she shared a kiss under the bleachers with her senior year, bad boy, Jake Weston, but he doesn't, he's not so bad boy anymore. And then she finds out that he is a history teacher at Culpeper High. And she's like, oh my God, I have to work with Jake Weston. And it, she's like really stressed out about this and like struggling with her team And then she makes everybody run. And then he comes up to help her as she's vomiting. So that's how they get reintroduced. Mm, And it's 
Well, she just, she made herself run too hard. She wanted to prove something to her team and she wasn't quite ready to run that hard in the, you know, 90 degree heat. (laughs) And so Jake kind of saves the day and kind of starts helping her out. And they keep kind of running into each other once school starts. But the other problem is her absolute high school nemesis, the worst person in the world, lives next door to her parents in a McMansion. They tore the house down that was there. And built this mansion. She has a swan in her gated front yard. And she is married to Marley's high school boyfriend. Wow. So one day, (laughs) and I can't tell you what happens because it's a prank that you need to read about that, that Marley pulls. While they're at school and Amy Jo, her nemesis, is also at school because she, I forgot to say, is the home economics teacher. Jake comes to her rescue and says, Marley couldn't have done that. She was with me last night. <laughs> While Amy Jo goes puffing into the, into the principal's office, all with a whole head of self-righteous steam. And the principal says, she calls Marley and Jake into her office and she says, uh, we are not a backwards community. Like if you want a date, that's okay. But you have to sign a contract that you're not going to break up for this semester because we don't want to show our students that like casual, like no strings attached, like inappropriate flings are okay. Wow. So they have to but sign. we're not backwards. Well, it, in the book, <laughs> it, it doesn't seem that backwards, but it's, I mean, you really, I mean, who would sign a contract? I mean, who really would? <laughs> But it works in this book and it makes sense. So they sign this contract and like Marley is like about ready to give birth to a a calf. Like she's freaking the hell out because she's like, I am in a a relationship with Jake Weston and we have to act like we're dating. And how are we going to do this? And then Jake says, look, this can be very lucrative. I can teach you about being a coach and a teacher. And you can teach me because I've never had a long term relationship how to be a good boyfriend. It will be beneficial to us both. And so they begin spending time together to like stop the gossip and kind of help each other out. And pretty soon they realize that their fake relationship is not very fake. Now I'm going to tell you something about Lucy score. She makes me like ugly laugh. Like, you know, where your face crumples and you make like those awful sounds and she makes me ugly cry in equal measure in like almost every one of her books. And I love everything about this book. So it's coming home when you feel unworthy and finding your confidence and your strength. It's about developing good, strong female friendships It's a beautiful relationship that unfolds at like the perfect pace. It's like a small town parents who want to run an Airbnb out of their house. And oh, yeah. Yes. And let's not forget the rousing game of donkey ball that's played to raise (laughs) money. (laughs) So, I mean, there's like nemesis pranks. There are all these things, but at the heart of it, a beautiful re- relationship develops and Marley finds her way. And it's everything I love in a romance. 
Rock Bottom Girl by Lucy Score. One of the best books ever. Thank you, Stacy. My next book is also kind of a rom-com. This is Something to Talk About by Meryl Wilsner. And I wasn't really sure when I first started this if I was going to like it. The beginning feels a little bit shallow. And I was just like, eh, I don't know. You know, these people are kind of dumb. I'm not enjoying this. And then all of a sudden it kind of turned a corner and I found myself really, really invested in this story. So this is about Emma. And Emma is the personal assistant of this like script writer. Um, She's working on a TV show and she has recently, this writer has recently been offered like like a big like franchise. She's writing for this like ongoing series of movies and it's a really big deal. But people have not been very kind when they have found out that this woman was asked to write the script, like they're, they're doubting her. They're saying like, she's just not up to the challenge. Like they should have gotten somebody else. And so Joe, who is Emma's boss is having, you know, kind of a hard time like dealing with all of this. And she doesn't want to go to the screen actors guild awards because she's afraid that she's going to get there and people are going to be like ragging, you know, all about this like show. So she decides that since she has to go, like it would look really weird if she didn't, she needs a buffer. So she takes Emma with her. And Emma is just like a fish out of water. Like she's very appalled. They go to a dress fitting and this dress is like $5,000. And she's like, oh my gosh. Like I, I can't even afford like a quarter of this dress. Like what am I doing? And so they go and she doesn't really joe doesn't necessarily think that anyone is going to care about this like it's not going to be a big deal to the world at large that she brought her assistant to the sag awards but for some reason people make a huge deal of this and they decide that this must be like a secret relationship that joe and emma have like had a thing that they've been keeping a secret and now everybody like really wants to know about this And they're wondering, like, you know, is Joe a lesbian? Like, you know, why hasn't she come out before now? And Joe is really, really upset about this. She has stayed so, so quiet about her love life for her entire career. And she's been acting and writing um, since she was like a teenager. She's been, you know, no stranger to Hollywood and like all the things that go on there. But now everyone is way interested in what's going on between Joe and Emma. And the truth is, like, nothing is going on. You know, Emma is Joe's assistant. They get along kind of, like, they have sort of a, I don't know, like a fragile, like, work relationship. You know, they like each other well enough, but they don't really socialize until all this happens. And now everyone is expecting them to spend time together. And Joe doesn't really know how to get out of it. So she convinces Emma to kind of play along for a while. And if Emma agrees to do this, then maybe Joe can help her. Emma has had a lifelong dream of becoming a film director. And Joe will help her achieve that dream if she, you know, helps her out and like pretends to be Joe's girlfriend. So this is 
really about like the glitz and the glamour of Hollywood. It's about the way we pry into the lives of celebrities and don't really give them the space they need to be actual people that aren't, you know, living their lives for our entertainment 24 hours a day. Um, and so it ends up being just a really fun female-female romance that is centered around this fake relationship that, of course, turns into something more. I love the look at sexuality and, like, so what if Joe has been into women all this time and, like, hasn't told anyone? Like, is this a problem for her in Hollywood? Like, is this going to change how people view her? Um And Emma, you know, is it okay that she's like having this huge crush on her boss, but she's sort of using it like to get what she wants in in her career? Um, It's just, it's a lot of fun. It's, I wouldn't say that it is like my favorite fake relationship book, but I think it brings something really nice and refreshing to the genre I love seeing female female romances published by some of the mainstream publishers and this one um, came out in the beginning of 2020 and I was just really really taken with it so this is something to talk about by Meryl Wilsner I love books that are kind of unexpected like that where you know it it sounds like there's several layers of things going on in this book even if it ends up being just a more of a fun rom-com. It sounds like there's a lot to unpack in addition. Yes. I love books like that. So I might have mentioned a time or two tonight that fake relationships are like one of my favorite tropes. And for some reason, particularly in 2021, and please forgive my crass vulgarity, but I've been reading the shit out of this trope. And I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just like it's I need an and They're fun and diverting, and I mean, just so like not what was happening at the beginning of 2021 in the real world. And I read my first Christina Lauren book at the dawning of 2021. I read The Unhoneymooners, which is a wonderful fake relationship book. But tonight I'm going to talk about a different Christina Lauren book, which is also a fake relationship book. And that is The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren. It came out earlier this year. And I keep talking about like when authors strike all the right notes and like just press the right buttons. And there was something particularly beautiful about The Soulmate Equation. I I just found this book to be really special. It's about single mom, Jess, and she is a statistician. She loves numbers. She does not love dating and she does not love relationships. She has a seven-year-old daughter, Juno, and Jess was raised primarily by her grandparents. She doesn't know her father. Her mother was quite the party girl and sort of kind of ducked in and out of Jess's life and did not give her any stability. So her grandparents are her true stability. And her grandparents own a little apartment complex and Jess lives there with her daughter. They kind of have this wonderful kind of multi-generational thing going on. 
And every day, Jess goes to the coffee shop with her best friend, who's a romance writer, and they sit at a table together. And after their first gossiping, you know, cup of coffee, Jess does all of her numbers and her friend writes her romances. And Jess has been noticing this very hot man who comes in at precisely the same time every day. And he sort of strides in in his buttoned up outfit, gets his very same drink and walks out. (laughs) Well, and she thinks he's kind of hot, but like kind of odd, you know, they just kind of watch him every day and then he leaves. So this man whose name happens to be Dr. River Pena leaves his business card for his new app called Genetic Ally. And basically you find the one you are meant to be with through science, through genetics, basically by sharing a sample of your spit and having it exactly like, you know, like all the, um, um, yeah, like all, DNA, all of the DNA, um, like, uh, yes. family tree, um, websites. And, yes. um, so he's decided this is how you can find your perfect match. So on a lark, Jess and her friend go in and, and, and have this done. Well, Jess finds out that she is a 98% match with someone. And she finds this out because genetic ally keeps calling her and calling her. And like coming to her house and like, Whoa. you know, trying to get her to like talk to them, like in, in a car. And so she agrees to meet them and she goes out to dinner and finds out that her 98% match is the founder, Dr. <laughs> River Pena. So when, when Jess was at the office for Genetic Ally, she heard him make some disparaging comments about her. So she's not a fan. She already wasn't a fan because he's so rigid and regimented and ugh. And then he's rude, but he's this like almost perfect match. And she's being basically begged and pleaded with by his team at Genetic Ally to please pose as his girlfriend and have this fake relationship to demonstrate how well this app works. And if she does this- We have to fake it. Exactly. (laughs) And if she does this for like a set number of months, she will have all of her financial woes taken care of. Well, they'll pay her. She will get paid. Well, I know, but she gets paid a very high salary to pretend to be Dr. River Pena's girlfriend. And she thinks about it and she looks at her daughter and she just thinks about the life that she could give the daughter that she loves so very much. And she decides, I'll do it. So she starts this fomance with River. And they do like Instagram and they do, you know, a bunch of different like interviews and photo ops and dates with photos. They go to cocktail parties together. And as she's being paraded about as the top match for genetic ally, she begins to see that Dr. River Pena is not the douche canoe that she actually thought he was. He kind of develops a relationship with her daughter. He just shows a side to himself that she hadn't seen before. I love this book. It has 
some really beautiful, again, messy family dynamics and has some pretty painful family dynamics. It shows how Jess is trying to break. Um, she doesn't want to be for her daughter who her mother was for her. And she works very hard to, you know, keep everything going to keep her grandparents comfortable, to keep her daughter happy. And through all of this, she doesn't believe that there really is love available for her. But she starts to believe that maybe through science, she has found someone who could be her perfect match in real life, not just when the cameras are there. I love this book a lot. It was really, really beautiful. It made me really happy. It, it's like, uh, it's going to be a reread for me uh, automatically. Sure. I loved it. This again is The Soulmate Equation by Christina Lauren. I loved it so much. Thank you again, Stacey. Thank you I again. I need to read this. Oh, it Shannon, was. You would like it. It's, it's really good. So the last <laughs> book I'm going to talk about is um, book two in a series. I'm actually talking about two book twos today. It's true. I just it's like realized this. It's, it's a record. I guess because the second books are always the fun, uh, fake relationship books. I don't know. But this is The Dating Plan, Marriage Game Book 2 by Sarah Desai. And those of you who remember, uh, I think me and Shannon both talked about the first book in the series, The Marriage yes. Game, which was stellar, 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 stellar book. Well, if you guys remember Daisy Patel, who was Layla's very funny, enigmatic, and silly cousin. I, I love Daisy, and I was very excited about her book. And Daisy is a software engineer, very logical, very, you know, everything planned out, um, no interest in love, nothing. She's just, like, happy to work and happy to just be brainy. So, you know, she's already kind of gotten over the fact that she's not going to give her family the marriage that they expect. But she doesn't want them to bug her anymore about getting married or she just, she just doesn't want to hear it anymore. She's done with it. So she asks her brother's best friend, childhood, and also her childhood crush, Liam Murphy, to be her decoy fiance. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Liam, on the other hand, is a venture capitalist and he kind of feels like he has something to prove to the world. He's trying to do some big things and he's up for getting a really big inheritance, except the condition for his inheritance is that he has to get married. So he realizes that his best friend's little sister's proposition is the best solution for his problem. A marriage of convenience will, you know, benefit them both. Her matchmaking relatives will leave her alone and he'll get his money. But there's a snag. He broke her heart nine years ago. Uh-oh. Oh, so when Daisy and Liam go on a series of dates to legitimize this uh, upcoming marriage so that it looks real on all sides because it's very important that it look real, sparks fly. And too late, they realize that maybe there's nothing convenient about their arrangement. Because history and 
chemistry, they never really follow the rules of engagement. <laughs> so if you want to know what happens between Daisy and Liam, if you want to know if he gets his inheritance, you should read The Daisy Dating Plan by Sarah Desai. And if you want to start from book one, you should Which read you should do. The Marriage Game, which you should. You should absolutely do. That way you get to know this family and, and seeing all the characters reoccurring in book two will just make your heart so happy like it did me. Uh, the first book is called The Marriage Game by Sarah Desai. And this is The Dating Plan by Sarah Desai. And that brings us to the end of our fake relationship episode. Thank you to Natalia, to Stacy, and to Sarah for coming up with great books for this fantastic episode. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for her fantastic editing. And thank you so much to each and every one of you who joins us each week as we talk about all of the books we love. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.